Welcome to Live the Fuel, where we fuel your health, business, and lifestyle. And now your host, Scott Mulvaney. All right, good day, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to yet another Live the Fuel show. So we're recording on a fine, crisp, chilly, at least on the East Coast here, uh, uh, Monday evening. And I'm going to talk some business tonight. So yes, we talk about ways to fuel your health, your business, and your lifestyle. I like to balance those domains because... Uh, for the newer listeners out there, if you're not putting your health and your lifestyle component into your priorities, your business will fail. And maybe our guest co-host tonight might be able to talk about that too, because she might know a little bit about franchises, as in franchising, as in a franchise expert. Uh, I, I'll give her name in a second because it's part of her brand. But long story short, we're going to focus about inspiring people. Okay, We've talked a lot of ways about inspiring people over the history of the show over five years, but some of you out there have been trying to figure out maybe entrepreneurship. Even I had to figure that out years ago. I wasn't always an entrepreneur. So some of you guys might take it to the next level and figure out how can I run multiple companies. Franchising is an element of that. Uh, I studied it when I did my BS in marketing and psychology. Uh, so whether it's small business or big business, we do talk about business and the importance of health and lifestyle. So anyway, besides her being a franchise consultant, uh, she's also been in business owner for oh, 20 years. She's a mom. Uh, there's a lot more to her background. She understands health and wellness brands, which is another piece that I want to geek out about. Maybe a brand you might have heard of, like Gold's Gym, other things. Uh, so without further ado, let's just have her chat with us today. Kim Daly, the Daily Coach. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Scott. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for that introduction. Well, you got a big bio, and there's no way I'm going to read it like a robot because that's not how I roll on my show. So, uh, But I, I want to chunk it out where we can. So... Let's just dive in right away, though. You've done a lot of online content. You do a lot of coaching. You've been on, you've already hinted at before we hit record today. You've been on a lot of great radio shows, podcasts. You're a big fan of getting educational content out there. Um, you've also been a keynote speaker and, and other roles. So, what led you? I got to jump right in. What led you to becoming the daily coach? Because you weren't always the daily coach. I'm a big geek about branding, right? So, something, what took you into this world? I mean, the daily coach. Yeah. So, I mean, I know I, I'm a franchise consultant, Scott. That's what I do and have been doing for 19 years now. But like, I didn't wake up and go, oh, yeah, I can't wait to be a franchise consultant. Right. So nobody ever. No one even knows that what that is or that it even exists. Most people don't. But I was in college on my way to medical school. I was a personal trainer in college. I was going to go to medical school and work with professional athletes. I'm a nutritional biochemist by degree. I answered a classified ad in the newspaper for a telemarketing job that literally changed the course of my life, or so I thought up until about 10 years ago. When I was 15 years old, what I really wanted to be was a motivational speaker. I grew up in the Miss America pageant organization, and uh, I wanted to influence people. I wanted to be a role model. I wanted to help people live their best life because I was always, from a very young age, interested in personal development. I mean, that's what people who grow up in the gym, that's what it's really all about, right? It's not about vanity. It's about being the best version of yourself. And that's where it started for me. Anyway, I answered this classified ad in the newspaper because how does one become a motivational speaker? I don't know. So do the practical thing, go to medical school and help people that way. Well, I answered a classified ad in the newspaper. It was for a franchise consulting company, not the company I'm part of now. And literally, it pivoted my entire career. I never ended up going to medical school. I've never regretted that decision. Um, today, I'm one of America's top franchise consultants. I am a motivational speaker. I am a life and business coach. All those like things I never want to like, like you said, I don't want to be those things. Like That's what we are. That's what I do. I help people figure out exactly what they're trying to accomplish in their life, personally, professionally, and financially, and how a franchise can help them create those outcomes. That's what I do. And it does involve, like you said, your fitness level. It does involve your health because if you're not healthy, you can't show up for your business with mental clarity. If you don't have goals in your life, you can't be a successful business owner. Those are the things that drive success, not just in business, but in everything in life. Yeah, I love that you just jumped right into that. Because I too, like you, I've I've God, I've had so many hats in my life. I I, I was definitely not a, a beauty pageant guy, uh, but maybe one strange world out there would want me to do that. Uh, but the I, I've been in a lot of health and fitness roles in my life as side hustles, and not even really a hustle, just 
I realized over the years it just became a habit. Like I, I had my corporate gig years ago. I was coaching and training and developing teams in the telecommunications world. Uh, one company specifically, T-Mobile. Yeah, there's a big brand. But in my free time, I might have been a bouncer. I might have been – I always spent six years uh, coaching spinning classes, right? So I'm a big cyclist, right? I'm a big health and fitness nut. I've also done the whole personal trainer certifications thing. I thought about doing that major in school as well, which is funny because you mentioned biology. My, my nephew is doing a chem bio major right now. So it's cool to see how all these things intertwine and where you go. And it's funny how you said you don't regret stopping the medical school path, right? Our paths are meant to change throughout life. I, I love that piece of motivation and inspiration for people out there that we could pause on that for a second because I changed my major, air quotes, uh, multiple times in my life. I, I went back to school in the evenings to finish it because I never could finalize what I wanted to do. So I just started hustling in the corporate world and working my way up the ladder before I became a firefighter and then became an entrepreneur, right? So hat changes, embracing the change, right? What what are your, what are your little co-host commentary on that? Because obviously you had to make a massive shift, unplug from the medical world, make a flip into the franchising business world. Like that couldn't have been the most turnkey easy thing. <laughs> well, so when I, I, when I was working for that company, I worked for three years for somebody, but I knew from day one that I wanted to be self-employed. So I was working inside a franchise company and I became like a very high paid salesperson very quickly. I figured out like, you know, relationship and, you know, how to be, you know, drive result because I was again, always into goals and you know, discipline and self-motivation. That was just the, that's the core of who I am and what I've always spent my life, you know, just sort of developing. So learning how to sell and be effective at it was second, like became second nature, you know? So I, um, I loved franchising, but I also didn't like working for somebody else. I knew from day one, I remember going home and saying to my dad, you've done this for like 30 years. And you know, there's like a recognition in your parents' eyes, like, oh, my child finally understands, you know, and I'm like, I, there's definitely a better way for me. I felt like a chained dog. So at 25, I left, I've never looked back. I'm 49 today. I'm completely unemployable. I love sharing that with people. Um, not because, um, someone can't afford me, but because, my freedom has no price. I am 100% confident in my ability to uh, overcome any challenge, including now a pandemic. Let's add that to the list. Not that we're bragging about it, but so I'll, I'll never have to be employed by anybody else. And so I tell people like, I'm not selling franchising. Franchising is just the vehicle that we're going to use to create an outcome. I'm selling freedom. I want you to raise your hand and tell me with clarity what you're trying to achieve in your life. And the reason we're going to use a franchise instead of entrepreneurship is because number one, entrepreneurship is very lonely. You're out there all by yourself. There's nobody to like bounce ideas off of. There's no track record before you. You're figuring it out as you go along. It's expensive. It's heart wrenching. It's, it's everything in a franchise. We're collaborative. We're working with people. We're following the process that somebody else has already perfected. And then we're using their support and their proven toolbox to, to advance the business. So from day one, your time and money is moving you toward profitability rather than that entrepreneur who's trying to figure out who's the customer and what are they going to respond to and what's the price point and like trying to figure all that stuff out. So I tried entrepreneurship for about five years only to come back to my franchising roots when I found what I'm doing today, which is franchise consulting. And uh, I love what you said. You're right. We are meant to reinvent ourselves. I, although I will say that, um, you know, I definitely have learned that we don't become what we want. We become who we are. And I am today the person that I was at 15. I'm just a more refined, polished, educated, wise person, you know, version of that self that I knew that I wanted to be when I was 15 years old. I, I like how you connected it all the way back to childhood. It's, um, it's interesting because I grew up, actually, something you earlier hinted at, you said your dad, really, you finally had the aha moment. Was your dad an entrepreneur or a business owner as well? Or? He was. Ah, okay. I, 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 <laughs> I didn't skip yeah. over that. I heard that that little undertone <laughs> flow in there because like I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. Like my father works for himself. My younger brother now works for himself. They do not work well together. My brother spun off his own version of my dad's business. So it's kind of, it's not a franchise, right? There's no, my brother feels that he could do everything better than my dad. It's a fun thing. 
but I, I watched the struggle. And you're right, right? The loneliness, the struggle. And that's why I chose a, you know, farm kid went corporate dream thing. I'm like, oh man, look at the, look at the salaries, look at the job titles. I thought that's what I wanted. And I spent many years doing that. My, all my 20s were done into my 30s. And then I was like, wait a minute, I'm not happy. And that's when I, it's go, it's story of the book that just came out. It's like, okay, forget it all. Screw it. I, I'm going to go fight wildfires with the federal government. <laughs> Maybe that's my path, right? But I only did it for two years, earned my belt buckle. Now I wrote a book about it. But the point there is that I embrace change. I realize that's not my path. Let me go back. And it's funny because when I was doing my nights and weekends courses to finish my degree, I was the first person in my family to do this. But the final major I chose was marketing and psychology. And it's interesting because I still use psychology to this day. Marketing, whatever. Like They can teach you whatever they want. You don't know until you put your head down and, and get it done. You're smiling because you know it. It's like, okay, you can only – you can't teach that in college. I'm sorry. See these basic fundamentals, but I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. Now, well, there's the book theory of running a business, and then there's real world. There you go. Yeah. It's so a- the, the, the example I always give is, look, I can tell you what it's like to ride a bike since you're a cyclist, right? Like I can tell you what you're going to do mechanically, but until you sit on a bike and feel what it feels like to balance a bike underneath you, you can't really understand what it feels like to ride a bike. And that's the same thing with owning a business, right? We can talk about it until we're blue in the face in school, but until you get out there and put yourself in the arena and lose a little bit and lose a little bit more and make it successful, you cannot understand the highs and lows of entrepreneurship. Oh, well, you don't know what it takes until you write your business plan. I love that one. I'm like, okay, so I I have my own company. I did not write a business plan. So does that mean I, I suck? I don't know. I'm like, yeah, maybe some people do need a business plan. Right? And, and it's like you said, until you start putting in the reps, I love using that term because for the health and fitness state, man, I use it all the time on the show. Uh, what, what's the, uh, what's the, I forget who wrote this, that book, the age old adage of uh, once you've done things, something was it 21 times, you, you're building a habit, 30 locks it in. It's the same thing, like you're putting in the repetition. Now, granted, this is where coaching comes into play. So I made a joke before you and I hit record today that you asked if I, I said, well, I do, I coach. And I have the coaching personality and the coaching mindset. I just don't call myself a coach because you got 18 year olds coming out now saying that they're, they're going to be your new business coach. <laughs> like you haven't, you barely have enough sweat on your brow, let alone put in the reps. Uh, so I'm sorry. I, I can't, I'm not hiring you as my coach, but I, I don't want to bring age into it. My point is, is you need some scars. You need some sweat equity. You need to struggle a little bit. Now, granted, what I'm hearing from you is the one advantage of a, of a franchise program. And I have friends and colleagues in franchise circles is yeah, there's a proven methodology. You got a template to follow. Uh, a great chain here on the East Coast, I don't know if they made it this far north, uh, is uh, Rita's Italian Ice, right? That's that's a they're, – they're all the way down to Florida nowadays. But back in the day, they were one of my clients. Uh, when I spent some time in the IT sales world. So uh, I used to manage their infrastructure. Uh, so it's interesting. You, I observe how all these different companies are doing things differently. Now, they were a hot mess. I mean, <laughs> from an IT standpoint – they had no idea what they were doing, but they were just ripping it off, man. And then they were just growing, 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 selling the franchises, opening them up. At one point, I remember hearing this from the marketing director, even though I'm on the IT side for their outsourcing. They were saying that they had to go back and realize that some of their franchisees weren't following the blueprint, right? They started buying their own cups and their own cupping sources, whatever, and lids and everything. So now you've got you're selling Rita's Italian Ice without the branded cups just putting them in white styrofoam or whatever they were doing. So it's very interesting. And this is, I'm going back. Wow. This is like 2007. I don't know. So I don't know. Do you have any stories like that about why there is a proven business model, why you should take advantage of this type of infrastructure that's already established and proven? Yeah, Scott. I mean, this is exactly why I have a business because not all franchisors are created equal. And I'm not saying anything about Rita's Italian Ice. Every franchise has a moment, you know, and that doesn't mean that it's not a good moment today. Or some people are like, yeah, but if it's not going to be good forever, then why should I invest in it? Well, because nothing's going to ever last forever, right? A business isn't meant to be something that you build and hold on to. In my opinion, a business is built to be sold for equity, some multiple of what you've built it for, right? So we always begin with that end in mind when we work together. But the reason I have a business is to help people like I... 
people are leveraging my 19 years of relationships in the franchise industry. So I'm going to gather all this data on a candidate to learn what are the characteristics of this business that's going to match what you're trying to accomplish. And then I'm going to go match that against the relationships I have in franchising to bring the two of you together because not all franchisors are created equal. And maybe somebody who has high business acumen, whose own businesses before is okay if a franchisor is a hot mess. They're okay coming into that situation, kind of pioneering, trailblazing, and okay paying fees for that. But a lot of other people wouldn't be okay with that. They're like, if I'm paying this franchisor for their knowledge, I want them to be a little more solid. I want to have a proven track record. I want to talk to franchisees who know, you know, who are going to validate to me that these guys have their act together. Yes, they're growing and changing because every business has to grow and change, even a franchise, but that they're, they're there to meet and to meet the franchisees where they are to support the franchisees. And they, and these franchisees feel that as they get up the learning curve, uh, the franchisor will be there to support them. I just interviewed, um, the CEO, um, not the CEO, the president of a pool cleaning franchise on Kim Daily TV and Michael was sharing with my audience that, you know, the way that he coaches um, a new franchise owner, he called it, I, I think he called it like the baby franchisees compared to like the teenage franchisees is different because the brand new franchisees, their first year owning a business has a very different training and support protocol than someone who's trying to take their business from, you know, like he was saying from like, you know, 600 customers to over a thousand customers to a $1 million business to a $5 million business, right? Very different coaching. And so what we were, as we were talking about in that interview was just that it's not a one size fits all mentorship in franchising. And my job is to help align candidates with franchisors that have a culture that these candidates feel is supportive to the amount that they want to be supportive, that um, they get to know, like, and trust the franchisor. Because ultimately, when you say yes to a franchise, you're not buying a brand. You're definitely not buying a widget. You are buying leadership. Leadership, leadership, leadership. Brands don't stay forever. Widgets don't stay forever. They don't keep doors open in a pandemic, but strong leadership does. Well, I love your points here. I mean, just a couple of things I have to unwrap a little bit, unpack, because like one, thank you for hinting that you're, you're buying into leadership uh, because you are correct, right? I know from the sales and marketing space, brand strategy and execution changes all the time. And I'm always reminding my clients of that. Like, I, I there is technically a textbook uh, thing that they teach you in the university. It's like, oh, okay, you should at least be wrapping it around your head that you may want to rebrand every five to seven years. That doesn't mean a complete teardown and rebuild, but maybe you you see big brands like Coca-Cola, Pepsi, stuff like that. They do, they'll bring back a retro version of their logo or an old slogan. They're always studying that and the psychology behind it, doing focus groups, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but back to your point on the other piece here was the leadership component, right? I've always reminded people, like, if you're going to work with a coach, but maybe it's your fitness coach, maybe it's a nutritional coach, maybe it's a business coach. I have a rule, too. It's like, I want to know right off the bat, do you have a coach? And people are like, what do you mean? I'm like, does your coach have a coach? I'm like, why would you ask that? And I said, because we're all supposed to be bettering ourselves and furthering our knowledge and experiences. So if I'm supposed to pay somebody to coach and improve me, I want to know who they're paying to coach and improve them. Because it should be a never-ending cycle because we're all supposed to be growing and bettering ourselves. Now, I agree. Yeah. Eventually, maybe somebody like you, you reach this echelon where you're well-established. You are one of the top franchise coaches. So right now, you're just helping lead all these other people. But then you're still probably one of those types of people I know was pre-pandemic. I'm going to entrepreneurial events. I'm going to mastermind communities. Um, you are correct. Entrepreneurial uh, journeys can be lonely, but that's why I also remind people, like, don't forget to surround yourself with other like-minded people. Get yourself out there. So I love that piece. And the other piece I yeah. want to unpack, and you pick from any of these if you want to expand deeper than what I'm hitting on right now. Not everybody is meant to be a leader. Not everybody is meant to be a coach. Uh, I spent 11 years as a USSA ski race coach to kids. And a lot of our athletes, again, another free time thing when I wasn't doing making thing i didn't make money doing that that was just fun um but i watch athletes as they go older and then they come back and maybe they want to reinvest their time back into the old program that they came from 
that do, just because you were a great athlete does not make you a great coach. And some that of the stuff sure. can be trained and infused into them from other people. Uh, but so might, maybe you're just better off helping run the races. Maybe you're more ba- based on operations, right? <laughs> so there's, there's those type of things too. It's like finding the right hats to wear. I mean, that's one thing I've spent my life doing is changing my hats all the time because I get to find wh- what's, where's my ebb and flow? What do I love? And that's where I'm always reminding people, whether you want to call it motivating to do it or inspiring them to do it, is embrace that change. Put different hats on from time to time. Like some of the most successful entrepreneurs out there will put themselves, or franchise leadership, will put themselves into each and every role of an organization to understand yeah. what they're going through. Can you talk to some yeah. of Yes. Yes. I will first back up to say, um, so yes, I, if you stop, if I stop growing, how can I be one of America's top consultants? Like that's ridiculous. So yeah, I reached the pinnacle of what I do as a franchise consultant years ago, but what was I going to do? Like my friends are like, no moss grows on your tree, Kimberly. I'm like, yeah. So I'm going to say I peaked at 40 and then I never dared take a chance or do anything different, you know? So, so no, what I did was I wasn't able to then turn to mentors inside my industry, but I found mentors outside of my industry. I found people who were creating wealth um, in, in ways different than I was using real estate syndication, who using infinite banking policies, using storage, using real tangible assets. I found somebody that had personal net worth of $100 million. And I said, I want you to be my mentor. Like I'm an abundant thinker. But this guy makes me feel so small. Like every time I don't want to be the biggest fish in the pond. I want to be the smallest fish in the pond. If I'm the biggest fish in the pond, my pond is too small and you get there, but then it's time to grow again. There's always going to be somebody a little bit ahead of you, even in a franchise. So um, I was the personal trainer today. I pay a personal trainer. I have the knowledge. I could get in the gym and definitely train myself, but you know what? I sort of like going to the gym and just getting bossed around because I'm going to push myself to limits because somebody else is going to tell me I'm capable more than I'm going to maybe show up and for myself every day, right? When you're tired. So I, I'm a big believer. I like you, I don't really use the word coach. I love it when my candidates say, you know, Kim, you're not really a coach, you're a mentor because the coach is on the sideline, a mentor's in the game. And that's like one of the greatest compliments I've ever been paid. So as I've grown and I've become more in my business, it enables me to give back more. So I spent eight years being an average performing franchisee in my franchise. And then back in 2011, I sort of had this hypothesis, like I knew there was more in me. And I had this hypothesis, like what would happen if? So I decided to put my head down and execute for one year. For 365 days, I held myself personally accountable. I didn't tell anybody what I was doing. And thank God I didn't because at the time, I didn't know that what I was doing would make me like the number one consultant in the country. And so, and that's like something like, don't always share what's in your heart with other people because the dream was in me. I knew what I was made of. I knew there was a path out there, but other people might've talked me down from that or even said, you know, you can't do that. And, and I did do it. So don't let other people persuade you, you know, or tell you what you can do, but I held myself accountable. And one year later I had achieved this enormous, enormous dream and in my business And uh, I'll tell you, it was much easier climbing to the top in relative obscurity (laughs) than it was staying on the top when all eyes were on my back that second year. Right now, my ego is involved a little bit because can I do it again? Everybody's watching me. Um, But that really forced me to then um, really look at my business, pull reports and what had I actually done? That hypothesis that I had focused me on one thing. And this, what I'm explaining to you is now has come to be called what I call the daily plan. (laughs) It is a daily, D-A-I-L-Y, a daily plan, but it's now also the daily coach plan. And um, it's something I share with my candidates that I've been perfecting since 2012. I've grown it. I've shared it with other consultants who now surpass my revenue number. So, and I've perfected it and given it to all, I give it to all of my candidates so that they don't have to spend eight years being average. 
if they can take what I've learned and hit the ground running, they can go to that rookie of the year spot right out of the gate. But like we were saying earlier, experience is really the only teacher. So while I can share what I did with them, sometimes it takes just getting into the arena and producing some result, even though like it's like feels erratic or what I call just massive imperfect action the first year just to create some kind of tangible result for yourself. And then you start working smarter than harder. You start refining what you're doing in the second and the third and the fourth year um, and, and getting better at it and growing it from there. So that journey you had to put yourself through, you don't want to tell anybody about. Uh, now, obviously, from that experience, have you turned that into a lot of your, obviously, future training and how you work with people differently now? It's exactly what I do. Yeah. From that, I've launched my YouTube channel. I mean, that was really a result of, I before, uh, before 2020, I used to travel around the country and host live events. That's how I would, you know, get people to want to oh, be there. Yeah, I'm sharing. Oh, perfect. <laughs> That's how I would get people to want to work with me. And then, um, and then when I couldn't travel anymore, I had a few videos, but nothing with any real intention. And then during 2020, instead of focusing on the obstacle, I decided to try to figure out how I could turn this into an opportunity. And it's literally turned into the greatest thing that I have ever done in my professional life. I am so proud of my YouTube channel. I literally... I want this to be the most influential content site in all of franchising. And I know that's a big, big mouthful and a very audacious goal, but that's the way the daily coach rolls. So well, uh, it will take me some time to get there, but I am determined and it's just day by day. It's that daily plan. <laughs> so I was going to say, who's the famous speaker? Cause I, I've, I've observed him say uh, who created the big hairy audacious goal acronym uh, B-H-A-G, ladies and gentlemen. This is thrown around a lot in leadership circles, but you know who, who actually created that? Um, is, is it Tim Ver Is it Tim? I don't know. I think it was Jim Collins. Oh, well, it might be. That, it could be. It's, it's one you of know, those, he yeah. He has a book about it. Hold on. Yeah, he, I know he's got a book about it, Built to Last, Successful Habits of Visionary Companies. But I, I know he quotes the, I'm Googling it right now, B-H-A-G. So I know he's got a lot of SEO around it, so... Uh, but I just had to think about that because I I probably hear that thrown out three to five times a year. It could be in a new audio book I'm listening to. It could be at a conference or something. But it is definitely something that people need to wrap their heads around. And it sounds like this is definitely something, a big piece of how you talk to your people you're working with. It's like, have you even thought about a big, hairy, audacious goal in your life? I mean, really set it in motion. Dreams don't scare you. They're not big enough. It's just like, you know, if you're, like I said, if you're the biggest fish in your pond, your pond's too small. I would much rather achieve 60% of a, of an enormous goal than a hundred percent of a small goal, because over time, you're always going to end up somewhere greater. And like, I don't want to get a hundred percent of my goal. If I do, I'm kind of aggravated. Like, why didn't I set the goal higher? You know? And that's not like in some type A, like, you know, never satisfied, like personality. It's just, if there's, there's always more out there. There's so much abundance in the world. Why do we limit ourselves and our potential? We're only going to achieve that which we believe we can achieve. So believe bigger and you'll land bigger. You'll have bigger. You'll, you know, you'll get, you'll go further. I love the word you just tossed in there, abundance. So uh, actually a fellow podcasting colleague of mine, I believe his, his mastermind groups call it the abundant mindset maybe, but over five over five years of podcasting, almost you know four, around four hundred shows online, just like you, right? You got to put in the reps. YouTube, you're putting in the reps. Podcasting, I, I put in the reps, uh, and now I'm, I'm aggressively growing the YouTube too. But I find that it is so hard for people to get to the point of even comprehending an abundant mindset. And over the years, uh, this podcast, we talk about fueling your health, business, lifestyle, but mindset has become the thing. It's just no matter who I've talked to another great co-host like you and many other before you, I'd say probably a third of our shows, we end up finding a way to geek out about mindset. And I love bringing up the fact around abundance that the big, uh, the big thing that happens before abundance to help you, for me, signify it and trigger it, and I want to hear what your point of view is, is your why. Big yeah. W-H-Y. What are your, what are your yeah. thoughts on why and abundant mindset? What do you got? 
Yeah, it's totally connected, right? If you, if your vision is not driven, like you, the vision is the car and the why is the gas. Like if you don't have a why that gets you out of bed every day to repeat, to get back in there when it's hard, to keep going when things are not going right, forget it. You're not going to follow through, right? So that those are the people that set New Year's resolutions and they're done by February 1. But the guy that, like I always used to say, you know, like if you, if you put two people in the gym, One's had a heart attack and the doctor said, if you don't lose weight, you are going to die. And the other one just grabbing their belly saying, ah, you know, I put on some holiday pounds. I think I need to lose 10 pounds. Like who is still going at it March 1st? The guy with the bigger why, the guy who's going to die if he doesn't do it. But we all have the internal power to create that why for ourselves. And then, and that's what fuels every single thing. My why isn't money. My why is influence. My, my why is helping people. I, the satisfaction for me is in taking somebody from, I have the dream to leave corporate America, or I have the dream to own a business, but I don't know how to make it come true. And taking them through a one to two month process to where I'm happily marrying them off to their franchisor. And they are celebrating this moment where they are now, they are now a business owner. My process helps people to be competent in the due diligence that they're doing and therefore confident in that final answer. It's not emotional. It's some part emotional. It's not purely logical because that just leads to analysis paralysis. It's some combination of both, but all of that is fueled by their why. We begin with their goals and dreams. Why are we here? If you don't have a positive motivating why, you're just going through the motions and you will never change your life. Well, you will never say yes to the dream. Let's tie that back to the gym, right? I mean, now granted, some people, like I built my own facility. I have a, my new property here has a pole barn on it. So I've got, I built my own CrossFit gym in it, but- Every Saturday, I still go visit my friend's CrossFit facility with my wife, who's a member. So she pays. I just drop in for free because it's a bro thing. But anyway, so, but I train on my own, but I still need to get in there. I got to go at least once a week. I got to go hang, get the social element. But also, they have great coaching staff there. Shout out to F13 Performance in Allentown. Uh, Rob and the boys are awesome. It's And the girls, mind you. They have everything. But the point is that, it's like going back to you. you. You actually, I loved the little little connection there on the car and the fuel, right? So thank you for using my buzzword because it's involved in everything I do. But now add you into the equation and you're the pressure on the gas pedal, right? You're the accelerator. It's like, okay, you've, you've sat down, you've really dug deep. And I tell people all the time, it's got to hurt when you find that why. It can't just be surface level. Like, oh, I'm going to do it for my kids. Now, granted. I've had people who are parents and in the entrepreneurial business space, whatever, they're saying, listen, that's BS. They're like, you're not doing it for your kids. Stop it. Dig deeper, dig deeper. Because then once you've dug deep and, and you know that, because I, I tell people, like when I've, I've helped people lose weight over the years and stuff like that in my free time, because I'm a health and fitness nut. I, I know how to help them. But I tell them, like, I'm not going to waste my breath. They're like, why? They're like, you haven't defined your why. I was like, I can't help you because when I'm not around, your why has to drive that, right? Your coach can always be there. Your mentor, as you so well put, thank you, by the way, I love mentorship as well. So yes, your mentor, your coach, your whoever, your, your, your guiding power is not always around. There's still some personal accountability that you have to put in place. And if you haven't dug deep on that why, all these other elements, these amazing franchises that you can get them connected with, this infrastructure, this training, your YouTube channel, it's all gonna fall flat in its face. Because you still have that personal accountability. And this applies to everything in life, ladies and gentlemen. We're not just talking about franchises. We're not just talking about going to the gym. This is everything. I'm a passionate person about this. It's everything. You are so right. Yeah. Now, what? Yep. I, I got to know, what was your big first, before your be a big, hairy, audacious goal, like you... You had that flip of the switch. You probably have had multiple flips of the switches. I'll tell you. You right. want to know why? I got to know I got why. Divorced. Or why is I got divorced. Ooh, interesting. Yep. Wasn't ready for that one. And now, and now I'm a single mom. Okay. And I didn't see my divorce coming and I have a lot of pride. And I was like, well, I'm going to do this. I will survive. Okay. <laughs> I'll figure this out on my own. And, uh, and I did in a very, very big way. So that was the turning point for me 
um, to really say, I'm going to create something for myself. That is something that I am truly worthy of. I've always known I'm worthy of. And now I have the time and it was a way to focus my heart, my energy, my passion into something positive and constructive. And, you know, to the point that you were saying about doing it for your kids, I tell my um, candidates all the time, the legacy that you're going to leave to your kids is not passing on a business. The legacy is the conversation around the dinner table that changes. When you go from a W to employee talking about bosses and, you know, vacation time and salaries and bonuses to talking about wages and employees and management issues, right? To bringing those kids into the business and maybe giving them their first job in the business. That is the legacy that you're leaving to your kids. As Scott, as you said, you are the product of an entrepreneur. I am the product of an entrepreneur. So entrepreneurial kids statistically have some likelihood of going on to becoming, you know, entrepreneurs themselves. Yeah, because I wanted that nothing to do with it. Legacy. And then somehow, full circle, in my forties, it's it's now a thing. I'm like, okay, I, yeah. years ago, in my twenties, nothing to do with it. But nothing to do with it. So, it's funny how the world the world flips it on the on your ear a little bit there. So, yeah, but absolutely, that that is the legacy that I would much prefer. Like people say, oh, I need to find a business that you know, fifteen years I can pass on to my kids. I'm like, that's too weighty of a decision. How do you? going to want to do this for 15 years? How do you know that the business you're investing in is still going to be needed or wanted in 15 years? Take so much pressure off of this decision. Make this a five to a seven year, maybe build and sell maximum 10 years and let the legacy be the lessons you've learned, the conversations at the dinner table and the business that you get to take those kids into. Because you know what? I'm a mom. I will tell you, any parent out there knows our kids do not do what we say. They do what we do, whether we like it or not. <laughs> good points. And, and you know what? I love your point on that and the, the legacy because that's something also that has come out of all these years of podcasting and then doing my own thing and ramping that up and then doing the book. It's like I never thought about that word, that, that word as much. And then after serving in firefighting, that was like my light bulb was. And I was like, through the show, it's like, wow, I was like, what is my legacy message that I'm leaving behind, whether you have kids or not? I mean, it's like you made a good point earlier about when people, entrepreneurs who start businesses or anybody or getting into franchises, right? It's like there's two ways to build a company or a business. It's you build it to be sold or you build it to become a legacy thing that's being passed down or passed on. That's how I look at it. So not technically if you're passing it on, you could be selling it, but, but if it's an inheritance to, let's say, your children or something ahead, Whatever, however you want to look at that, but that's just it. It's like I tell people all the time, like, either way, you're passing it on. Because if, you, if you're just going to hold on to it until you're dead, well, now you're not doing right by your employees, right? Because you have no succession plan. So every business is meant to be sold or passed on. That's how I look at it. So, I mean, that's a very high yeah. level, but that's what I'm hearing from you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's part of my coaching process for sure. Yep. And, you know, going back to the big, the big why, um, you know, my candidates for those listeners out there who are like, well, like who thinks about a franchise? There's like kind of like a few different types of people. I, there's the, the people that are W2 employees that really hate getting up and going to work. Talk about a really big why, Scott, those people um, you know, when they tell me, you know, especially like people that live around New York commute into the city, you know, they're like on the train four hours a day. It's like no way to live. That's crazy. No way to live. Yeah. And or just people who've given all of their life and I mean quality of life to a company who through no fault of their own, they get laid off. Those people have a measure of pain that I'll never know, but I've definitely worked with hundreds, if not thousands of them in 19 years. And so there's that. And then there's the person who's always had the dream to own a business and they're still corporately employed and they like what they do, but they feel a glass ceiling or they feel um, as they age that they might lose their job, that instability, insecurity, they're looking for control and or they want to 
um, like bridge the gap. So they want to be building something while they have the comfort of their, you know, salary and bonus. So what we call semi-absentee ownership. So there's those people. And that is a different measure of pain. That is kind of more like running toward pleasure, right? So they're building income that eventually will allow them to W-2 or pink slip their W-2 job and step into this business that can now afford them. And then I also work with a ton of investors, real estate investors, people that are involved, like I said, in real estate syndication or they they invest their money in tangible up. assets. Yeah, because like, uh, again, you just study corporations like McDonald's. The, the big hidden secret there in, the, in business studies is McDonald's is not built on the franchise components, built on the real estate underneath of it. And people don't really think about that. But think about how much land is involved. And I, I, I don't support fast food, but I'm just thinking, like, think about how much real estate is in the McDonald's portfolio. I mean, right. holy crap. That's a lot. Right. <laughs> it's a right. lot of land, but yeah, all over the world. And a, all over the world. a lot of businesses, the franchisor doesn't want the investor to invest in the land up front. Save your cash, put it into the business. Make sure this is a business you're going to enjoy. Make sure you have enough cash flow to get the business up and positively, you know, cash flowing. And then maybe look to buy out your landlord over time. Automotive is like a great industry for that, for people that ultimately want to own the real estate. Mm. So, and then eventually sell off the business and be the landlord to the new, you know, Meineke franchisee or Mako franchisee. But in the beginning, it's always probably better, you know, it depends on the person's net worth and their business acumen, but the real estate is its own investment with its own ROI. And the business is, you know, has its own, is its own investment and its own ROI. And so it's kind of better to take one at a time you know, and then over time have them both. It's interesting how you brought up automotive because uh, my wife's favorite automotive shop that she goes to is closing because the guy wanted to retire, but he, he was, he'd already handed off the business anyway. He wasn't even running his own garage anymore, but he owns the land. So he's like, well, I'm retired. And he owns like two or three sites. He's closing them all and selling them all off all the, all to. So now there's like a, um, like a tire shop or something moving in there. But the whole point is he owns all that land. So there you go. It's like, okay, well I have multiple locations. I don't run them. Because there's very successful garages for a long time now. He probably it probably took him 40, 50 years to do that. Uh, but he's like, all right, I'm ready to retire now. Who wants it? You know? And, yeah. so now and then that real estate is just reoccurring revenue to you in retirement and also providing a depreciable asset, which is great, great for your situation. So yeah, that's that's a very nice exit strategy from your business into a more um, passive, you know, state, but where you still have income coming in every month. Yeah. Passive income, as some people want to call it, whatever you want to call it. But it's like, listen, you're not doing anything. You already put in the work. Now it's on autopilot. So yeah, have really good tenants. I, I have some properties we yeah. rent right now, too. And it's like, they're all rented. I have one one house alone, like the one we used to live in. It's got two rental units in the house. And then I, I redid the garage. It's a massive garage where my wife's family's construction company was founded in the early 1900s. They don't use the building anymore. It was ours. So I gutted the whole building. And I have guys storing really fancy cars in there. So... I get to go check out all these amazing toys, but I collect rent every single month. And right. They just want, yep. they just want, I've seen all kinds of nice cars coming and going out there. I'm like, I don't care because I'm getting your money anyway. <laughs> exactly. And on that note, I mean, there are franchises for investors who may be listening. There are franchise investments that feel, look and feel very much like, I won't say passive, a business is never going to be truly passive. Thank you. Um, I was right. A business always, yeah, a business always needs leadership, but it could go all the way down to like five, five hours a week or less. Like, so for example, like we have a laundromat franchise, right? So this is more of a construction play. It's more about where to place it, the size of it, how much equipment to have in there. That's the reason to be partnered with the franchisor for that learning curve. But then once it's open, it's very minimal time commitment by the owner, less than five hours a week, right? To manage that, to basically go in and get your coins and go to the bank, you know, manage a couple of part-time employees that do the, you know, fluff and fold service or whatever it's called. But so those, there are, there are a class of franchises that look and feel very much like um, real estate plays with small team to no team of people, um, but have that business cash flow so they can kind of give you the best of everything. And then, of course, always providing the tax advantages. That's one of the biggest reasons that people, you know, truly wealthy people look to start, put their money into businesses and businesses that have real estate um, because of the tax advantage of the business. Oh, I can't tell you the, the storage game. Oh, my God. That's, 
I, that's one of the biggest elements you've, you've already mentioned, but there's a lot of players in that world. Um, just yep. Especially in my area. My area is booming because I'm in Allentown, Pennsylvania, so we're between New York City and Bethlehem uh, and uh, yep. Philadelphia. And they keep building more and more on the outskirts, uh, warehousing and Amazon facilities because we're, we have access to so many highways. So there's a lot of influx of people thanks to the pandemic. Our house, well, trust me, we paid a lot more for this house than I should have. But it, the market's crazy. People are moving in. They need homes. And I guarantee they're going to move with stuff. And they got to put the stuff somewhere. And storage facilities are packed to the gills. And it's, it's automatic money. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just people, for some reason, in this country can't get rid of things. I'll never pay I for know. a storage unit because I don't like having extra stuff. That's just how I'm wired. But there's a lot, there's thousands of people out there that can't let stuff go. And they're going to stick it somewhere. <laughs> It's so funny. I just interviewed the uh, CEO and founder of, have you ever heard of pods, the portable on-demand storage? Yeah, we have pods. Okay, so that's- Cube is another one. I don't know. Yeah, those are, the pods is a big corporation, but we have, I work with the franchised version of pods. So it's the portable storage. And this particular, the CEO um, competes against himself. He has, you know, $12 million self-storage, you know, um, buildings with 600 or so, you know, units to rent. And then he has the portable storage and it's a fascinating interview. It's coming up on Kim Daily TV in about a week or so. It'll be one. out. Um, I already subscribed to your channel. So I have to, that's uh, that, Yeah. That so ring the notification YouTube, bell, right? Scott. So you can be alerted. We're pushing out about three videos a week at I least. So that, you, yeah. you'll get that video content. But anyway, um, he was saying that one of his owners, a former McDonald's franchisee actually um, like built and sold a, um, his portable storage business for $21 million. It's like somebody, he like sets it up and then he looks at me in the camera and he goes, that's good, right? <laughs> I love how he asks you that. It, clearly he sees you as a, as a mentor because he's like, that's good, right? That's good, right? Like, no, yeah, 21 million. No, I don't know. You could have done better. <laughs> yeah, sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of money to be made in storage. And that's what he said. He's like, I don't care whether they want portable or whether they want fixed storage. I own it all. So See, I compete smart. against myself in the market. I'd compete against myself. I think that's genius because you also, again, from a marketing standpoint, it's like you have to adapt to your audience, right? So some people want the portable thing. They want to know something's going to get dropped off in the driveway and then they can take their good old time filling it up and that's it. And then it'll move somewhere else. And then you got the people who now do the portables to relocate and actually move uh, to another state and everything else. So I see truckloads of those things going to other states, right? So there's all different elements, but then you got the classic, I hate to say classic, but it is classic. I, I just saw two more facilities built near where I live where people want to be able to drive up, roll the door up and stick stuff in and come and go as they want. Uh, my one client, she started her sales representation. She's a manufacturer sales rep. I do a lot of sales work with her. That's why. And, uh, she started in a storage unit. She she was she had a condo. She didn't want the business there. So all the samples from the manufacturers, all the marketing materials, everything was in the storage unit. And then she would just come yep. and go with her car when she's heading to an event or whatever. And that's how the company started was out of a storage yep. unit. So yeah, a lot of franchises that are home-based businesses will use storage in the beginning for inventory or equipment. And even on that interview with that CEO, he said, yeah, we have lawn care people that rent, you know, to yeah. put their extra lawnmowers and equipment in. We have pharmaceutical reps who put all their product samples. I'm like, yeah. So like he was naming all these businesses. I was like, oh my God, I never thought about that. But then on the portable side, he was mentioning comp like restoration companies like Surf Pro or Puro Clean or some of these restorations. So if, if you have water damage in your home and everything's got to be taken out to gut it and fix it. Like the stuff that's being saved, where does that go? True. It goes into a portable storage container. I was like so many things I had never thought about just in a B2B way from storage. Yeah. Great points. Yeah. So it's, it's a really fun interview. Hopefully you guys will check it out. Well, actually that's a good way to bring the, the show towards a close. So again, ladies and gentlemen, I already screened it on the video screen shared. I'll, I'll again, podcasting is audio. So Again, we'll have all the stuff posted in the show notes, her links to her YouTube and everything else. But again, just search for the daily, D-A-Y, sorry, no Y, D-A-L-Y, daily coach. Uh, and you can subscribe to her YouTube channel there. But again, we'll have all that stuff in her website in the show notes as well. So again, the main website's the same thing, thedailycoach.com. Uh, but on that note, Kim, I like to have my guest co-hosts help, help bring the show to a close because, again, you're a mentor. So, uh, and we did already talk about legacy. So what I ask my guest co-hosts is, what would you like to leave behind for the audience if they've forgotten everything else we shared today? But 
there's a closing statement you want to leave out there. Maybe it's a legacy message from everything you've learned or something motivational. How would you like to bring the show towards a close for listeners? Yeah, I would say, Scott, that freedom is the most honest state of the human being, right? We were created for joy and joy is really only ever fully achieved when we feel free. Freedom comes with a price usually. In the context of owning a business, the price is courage. It's the courage to put yourself into the arena. But in a franchising situation, it doesn't require like pure guts, right? It requires you following the lead of other people who've already figured it out. And I can be your guide to help find those people, to find an organization where you believe that you can thrive. So it's not like getting in that airplane, getting to your cruising altitude, and then jumping out, having never, you know, skydived before all by yourself. It's skydiving out of that airplane with somebody on your back who's done this hundreds of times and who can help you carefully land where you're trying to go. And that's really going to sum it up. So for those people that are inspired by the idea to own your business, it's never going to be the right time. It's never going to feel a hundred percent like, oh my gosh, this is, I got to go do this. There's always going to be that doubt, those doubts, those insecurities, those anxieties. But if you want the outcome, if you want the life that you truly own, where you can be accountable to you, where you can wake up every day feeling empowered by what you've created and abundant because it's all yours and it's unlimited, you have to be willing to push through those first fears and put yourself into the conversation. And I'm here. I'd love to be your daily coach. My services are free. You will never pay me any money. So you have nothing to lose. I love that. Nothing to Nice notes and, and very well-spoken words. Thank you. So listen, Thank hang you. tight. I want to give you a proper goodbye off the air. Ladies and gentlemen, I also love the fact that she snuck in si skydiving in there since I'm a huge fan of that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. And in this situation, I get to go back to her, especially if you've got a mentor willing to help you for free. Okay? That's something to think about. So again, ladies and gentlemen, go to the show notes to find the links. Thanks for tuning in to another Live the Fuel show. Kim definitely left behind some powerful words for us today. So uh, as a reminder to all of you listening out there, subscribe, subscribe to her, subscribe to me, subscribe to everybody, okay? Uh, but thanks for tuning in. Remember, you too can live the fuel. And we will talk to you guys again soon. Thank you for subscribing to Live the Fuel. Stay connected on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Live the Fuel. And remember, you too can live the fuel. So please visit us at livethefuel.com.